You've played the missions, but do you really know the lore? We are here to be your guides. Your guardians. This is Guardians of Lore. morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, Guardians. Welcome to Guardians of Lore. This is episode 166, recorded March 14th, 2023. The topic for this episode is Lightfall Collector's Edition Part 2, Elsie's Book. I am your host for this evening, and my name is Orkin. And I am Elamist. Hey, Elamist. Yo. Yo. I have some podcast info for you. Uh, we encourage feedback. It can be sent to us on Twitter at guardians underscore lore. You can tweet at me at hey it's orchid. You can tweet at elemist at i underscore am underscore elemist. You can send us an email at guardians underscore lore at outlook.com. You can leave us a review wherever you can find the podcast. You can find us in our discord at discord.gg slash lorehub. And there's also a link in the description for this episode if you'd prefer to just go there. Sometimes it's easier. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit our Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com slash guardians underscore lore. Every little bit helps, and we really do appreciate everything you can spare in this economy. Wild. Yeah, we we greatly appreciate it. Seriously, like every little bit really does help. Thank you so much, um, especially for the people every single month that are generous, continuing donators. We really do appreciate it. Um, you can also find our info on thelortnetwork.com alongside many impressive lore content creators. And we are still there. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just blew through all that information. It was great. I'm totally on top of it. I made a zero mistakes. I'm lying. <laughs> This week at Guardians of Lore, the Twoggle, we both did contest mode for the Root of Nightmares, or just Root of Nightmares. Um, my clan calls it Root because we're lewd, but everyone's calling it Ron because it's funny. So how was contest mode for you, Elmas? Tell me everything. It was rough. Um, <laughs> the, the first night, uh, so Friday night. Before we get into it, we should say contest mode this time was 48 hours, yes. not 24 hours like it usually is. It started on Friday, the um, the 11th or Friday, the 10th and went until Saturday, the 11th or I guess Sunday, the 12th. Yeah. Sunday, the 12th. Right. Uh, yes. Right. Okay. It was actually 48 hours, like legitimately 48 hours so, right before so it, reset. It went from from like it started Friday at reset uh-huh. and it went until Sunday at reset. Right, right. And it usually is only 24 hours for people who've never done a raid race before. So this was unique that it was 48 hours, like intentionally 48 hours um, when they did king's fall it was 24 and then they pushed it to 48 because they had so many problems with it so it ended up being 48 hours 
but that was not by design. That was because people couldn't, they kept getting dropped from the rain. So. And I think that's primarily like why they extended it to 48 hours. Yeah. It's because people kept getting booted to orbit. I know when we were doing King's Fall, um, we kept getting like half our team, like wouldn't be able to load in and we kept getting booted back to orbit. Right. We had so many problems doing that one. Like, I, I think a lot of the decision for making this one 48 was because they saw how King's Fall went and they were like, all right, everybody wanted us to do 48 hours for that because there were so many issues. Let's bake the time in so that, you know, if there are issues, we can fix them and everybody can have, you know, more than 24 hours to get through it. Also, because they made the actual raid race on Friday. That too. And a lot of people decided that they didn't want to take off work, but they still wanted to do contest mode. So 48 hours allowed people who just wanted to do contest mode to be able to do it on Saturday. Yep. And so a lot of people were still able to work on Friday, then did Friday night contest mode, and then Saturday during the day contest mode, which is what a lot of people did. Yep. So it made this raid probably the most accessible raid out of all of them. So consequently, the most people finished out of all of them. <laughs> like Elvis group finished and got their emblem. Let's go. So Friday afternoon slash evening slash night, we got through the first two encounters. Saturday the majority of the time was getting through the third encounter and trying the fourth, you know, trying the final encounter. And we had come up to a, like essentially there's a glitch where if you kill him, but you it's timed incorrectly with the white mechanic, you won't get the clear. And that happened with my team. We saw him die. I had a threader bounty from A to one that said, finish two encounters. My threader bounty completed. We didn't get the loot. We didn't get the triumphs. I had another bounty from Hawthorne that said complete a raid and that didn't complete. So we sat there and we were like, what? What the fuck? Things went downhill for the next like 10 or 12 attempts. And we were like, all right, you know what? We need to call it. We'll come back in the morning. Sunday morning, we logged in two hours and we were done. We got it like two or three hours before the end of the 48 hour mark. So you were able to finish it? You got your emblem? Yes. I'm very proud of you. This is your, is this your first clear of a contest mode? Correct. Yeah! <laughs> Yay! Look at you go! It's, it's like my fourth attempt or fifth attempt, but this is the first mm-hmm. clear that I've ever gotten. I've attempted every single one, and I have yet to clear one. I attempted all of them, but I don't do like really serious attempts. I just try all of them because I want to. <laughs> we got pretty far. We got to the planet's room. I feel like we should describe the raid for people who have not done it yet. So the first encounter is you're literally just lighting up a bunch of of nodes or seeds. And it's tormentors and add clear. 
Yeah. Essentially. And like punching scions. That's all it is. Uh, the second encounter. <laughs> it's a bunch of different levels with these like boop cannons and diarrhea walls that clear you out of the levels if you fuck it up. God. The walls look like diarrhea. Essentially, it's the same concept. Like it, the way they designed the entire raid was actually really well done. The concept of the raid is like a tree of life idea. It's like I, I'm talking mechanically. I'm talking aesthetically. And that's fair. Aesthetically, it's the idea like looking at it as you go through the raid. Like it's all very like flowery. You go into the pyramid ship that the uh, traveler shot through with the beam during the cutscene of Lightfall. Yep. And it's like you see all of that growth. Like all that just mad like garden growth that the traveler did. And so all this like iridescent plant growth fighting with the darkness that's inside. And so you have these really dark areas and all of that like orange darkness. That's all I can really call it. Pyramidal darkness. Yeah. Fighting with all this like very lush very i guess i would call it like almost like futuristic greenery because it's very like french angles and art it's very like artistic greenery it's very pretty yeah a lot of it's like very pretty like venus fly traps and shit absolutely and it's i i love the story of the actual raid as you're going through it like off in the distance you can see kind of a a this weird silver bud. Mm -hmm. And as you go through the raid, you see it grow into a tree of silver wings. Mm -hmm. uh, just like the one that we saw on IO. Yeah. Which is so cool. And you also see like the same kind of like tuning fork sort of that was sort of used um, in the Lightfall campaign, but not really. So you see something like that in there and you're like, oh, I wonder what that is. I don't know. So there's that kind of like a big contraption that's in there. And you see the tree like as you go through it, um, you're going through like the trunk of the tree as it's growing. Like it's it's very fascinating. And then when you're at the end of the raid, you're you're essentially like out of the tree again. And you're kind of like you can see where you came into the raid. It's very cool. You kind of come like full circle again. Well, the, the funny thing is the the area for the final encounter mm -hmm. is actually the area for the first encounter. But because of the, the growth and everything, the area just got pushed up. Oh, that's so cool. So quite literally, like you just went in a loop. But because of how how the tree itself is pushing things around, like you end up in the same place that you started. Mm -hmm. It's a cool raid. It's a really cool raid. I enjoyed myself. It's a fun raid. Um, there's a planet's room that is wacky. It's very pretty. The whole raid is really pretty. Which, if anybody finished the Witch Queen campaign, you get to see. It's just a really neat raid. Uh, lose me with that armor, though. It's tacky as fuck. I will never wear it. I sharded all of it. 
into what I was wearing. I will, you will never catch me dead in any of that armor. And see, I, I kind of like the Titan armor. I, the Titan armor is cool, but man, that warlock armor, <laughs> get fucked with that armor. <laughs> well, no. I will come out and say it. I haven't seen the armor for the other classes. I've only seen gauntlets and boots for the Titan. And that's because that's the only thing that dropped in the six drops that I got in the raid. I ended up getting the exotic on my first go around, as I do. Oh, fuck you. I know. <laughs> as I do, this is my third raid where I've gotten the exotic on the first time I've done it. Um, Scourge, I got Anarchy and the Sparrow the first time I did it. <laughs> I get fucked. And uh, Deepstone Crypt, I got Eyes by the first time I did it. During the first weekend, and then uh, I got on Sunday, I got um, the shotgun. The shotgun is very cool because it's a dual stasis solar shotgun. It's very neat. Man, it's a cool shotgun. I'm really into it. Not good for PvP, but very good for PvE. And the pattern that it puts down on the ground is like very unique. It's just very pretty. So I really like it a lot. Yeah. Okay. And it seems a lot of people got it on their first or second tries. So I think it's they're very generous with their drop rates for this shotgun. So I don't think it's going to take people very long to get it. I hope not. I, a lot of people I know are already getting it. So I don't think it's going to take you very long to get it. I would say like under five tries. Honestly. You can hold me to that. You can hold me to that under five tries. I hope so. Because, like, I've seen clan mates go, like, 50, 60, 70 clears before they even get it. And I, I hope that that's not the case. Yeah, I don't think this is a 1,000 voices kind of thing. I think it's going to be a really easy get. I still don't have 1,000 voices. I will never have that exotic. <laughs> it's just not meant for me. <laughs> oh, I'm so sad. But no, like, I... I love the way the Titan armor looks. It it kind of reminds me of like an anglerfish. It kind of, yeah, kind of does. I don't know <laughs> why the warlock armor's got extra arms. That's why I'm just like, nah, like I don't need extra arms. I already have a hard time keeping track of two. I don't need four. No. No elixir for you. Not on one side of the body. It's <laughs> It's not symmetrical. I can't do that. Yeah, I I don't like non-symmetrical. I can't do that. No. Uh-uh. I, I just... Mm -mm. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. So, I'm not doing it. The, some of the weapons are cool. Uh, they're very shiny. They have their own, like, glow pattern on them. So, they look really neat. And the lore is really cool. The lore is in these little bowls. So if you go into the raid, like make sure you look for these little like pond scum bowls because that's what the lore is. So please don't walk past them and not activate them because that's how you get the lore. <laughs> They're little fish bowls. My clan mates were calling that pea soup. Pea soup. Yeah, it's good. I was like, that's a dirty fish bowl. <laughs> so like as we were going through it, one of my clan mates, um, Ike. He was like, hey, pea soup. I'm like, what? Where? 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 So funny. I was like, that's a dirty fish bowl. And someone's like, you should touch it. 
<laughs> and then, oh, God. yeah, I, I had so much fun, um, on, cause we did it on Saturdays when we did contest mode. So I did it with just like a bunch of my group chat friends. And then Sunday I did it with Kenny and the boys. They took me through it. They're so careful when they take me through raids because they know all the shiny places. And that raid is fucking brutal. If you have folks, if you're photosensitive, like, please be careful. <laughs> that raid is very, very rough. Oh, God. It's... Mm. It's uh, trying to make shit and not make it flashy in a dark room, like challenge impossible for Bungie's art team. I swear to God. And that's that's rough. It's, it's everything now. It's the weekly missions. It's the raid. It's it's a light fall. It's the exotic quests. It's literally everything in the game. I can't do anything anymore. I I just, I have to give up and be like, well, how many seizures am I going to have playing the game today? Let's roll a dice and find out. Oh, well, fuck me, I guess. See, that's not right. They don't care. Like, it's all lip service. So I'm going to enjoy the lore and I love the gameplay and the aesthetic of the raid is so cool. So, like, I'm going to keep playing the raid as safely as I possibly can. So. Just be yeah. careful. I mean, my brain is going to be Swiss cheese by the time I'm done playing Destiny. So. <laughs> We could go right into this week's story since we just did it. Uh, I got to do it yep. with my own fire team this week. I got to play the weekly story with Elamist and Rindle. It was very good. We had so much fun. It was a very <laughs> good time. I'm so glad I got to play with you guys. It totally made my night. We got an ink black cutscene. How great was that? It was good. Yeah. So. Like, I enjoyed it. Did you? There wasn't anything new that was, you know, a revelation or anything, but it was it was still a good scene. Do you want to talk about what the cutscene was about? Uh, it was pretty much the chaperone lore, talking about Amanda's story, her coming to the city, and kind of, you know, how she became the, the shipwright. I really liked that she talked about why she became a pilot. And when she it explained that when she was a child, she looked up and saw these jump ships, like kind of protecting the people walking to the last city. And they didn't quite protect all the people as much as they could because both her parents died. But when she became a pilot, she's like, I don't have a ghost, but she did her best. And she's like, I can still fight like in this plane. It's really great. I like how they're focusing on Amanda this season for some reason. Yeah. I guess people are like, you never talk about Amanda. And they don't. I, I think it's more the fact that they're diving into the civilian side of the Vanguard. Because when are they going to talk about Hawthorne? We don't speak of her. That's because she, her bird is better than her. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the fact is, like, we dove a little more into Devrim. Yeah. We were diving into mm -hmm. Amanda. 
So I, I think they're looking at the civilian side of the Vanguard at this point. I like it. I think it's great. Like, I love talking about more lore and like more people that we don't usually get to talk about. And I know I've given right. Amanda a lot of shit. And I think it's just because we she's just around like a weird appendage. She's around like a weird arm on that warlock armor <laughs> from Root. And she's just there like holding a fucking like round bottom flask for some reason. It's like, okay, you're there, but like, what do you do? So I'm glad they're like focusing on her and like giving her purpose and telling her story. Because if you don't have chaperone, like use like to get chaperone back in the beginning of D2, it was really hard and annoying to get that gun. It's super easy now because they changed the way you get it. But the original quest was hard and annoying. Yeah. And so unless you played a lot of crucible, you weren't going to get it. And even then, like you had to switch how you specifically played. Yeah. Or at least I did. You had to play a lot of crucible with shotgun to be able to get it. Now you just, I think you can just get it. I I think you still need a reset in crucible, but like play enough of it. You'll get it. Right. Even if you're just on a complete losing streak. Yeah, but I think you'll still get it, though. I don't think you have to, like, use shotguns or anything like that. Like, in Crucible. I don't know. I got it when it came out. So, I don't know how you get it now. But I really like that they had the whole chaperone lore. I think that's great. And I like inkblot cutscenes. Like, they're, they're my favorite. They usually knock it out of the park with those. They really do. And this was no different. And to see, like, little baby Amanda was very cute. See, I think I saw that that character model before. The little girl with the little neckerchief? I think she was in the Zavala trailer. The Zavala? What? I think she was in the Zavala trailer, like, back when D2 was first coming out. Oh, nah Really? I think. I haven't go- pulled it up to go check. I think that's her. God damn it. Let me look. 12 seconds later. Oh my God. She's standing right next to him. That's totally her. Look at her go. It makes it even better when you stop and realize that Zavala is her guardian. Like not guardian as in, you know, ghost and and revived guardian, but like parental guardian. Oh. So like. Uh, that was something that I learned this season with. Uh, oh, and she's looking at the jump ship. That's totally her. Yep. Holy shit. That's totally Amanda. God damn it. How did I not notice that was Amanda? Oh, well, because like when this first came out, it was just random girl. Like we didn't really know who it was or anything because they they never specified. Today is totally the day I found out in Destiny. God damn it. I should specify. Rindle said that in chat. Okay. We were at the farm and I look across <laughs> the lake and there's like a bunch of fucking houses over there. And I'm like, when did they put houses over there? And he's like, there have always been houses over there, Orchid. <laughs> there's an entire town over there. And I'm like, since when? And he's like, since the 
since the beginning of Destiny 2. There have always been houses. I'm like, no. And I sit there and I'm like, in fact, there's like four of them. Four different villages. <laughs> You're like, there's a ton of villages. <laughs> I'm like, there, what? It's my Protheon tank moment. <laughs> how? How? I just didn't notice. Guys, I didn't notice. God damn it. That's amazing. It's Amanda. That's so cool. I love it. That's so good. Good job, Bungie. Right. It is such a good callback to a trailer that, like, we saw and we all loved, but like it didn't really hold anything. Like it, it was an amazing trailer. Don't get me wrong, but like there wasn't anything aside from just like getting Zavala. But like now that that we have the ink block cutscene, we're able to actually yeah. piece that like Zavala had mentorship of or guardianship of Amanda, and it was canon like. Way back when D2 first came out, it was just they didn't really expand on it. Yeah. So, again, example of a good retcon. Good retcon. Very good. Kind of feel like I'm, I, I'm just pointing out good retcons at this point. Oh, my gosh. So good. And Rindle is in chat and he said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was always meant to be Amanda, but still like. They never specified. So it was no. just random girl number one. And Zavala looked down at her in a kind of a proud mo- way or until today, I always viewed her as just random girl one. Right. So I, I love the fact that it's Amanda. I love that it's Amanda, too. Like, it's so good. And they're, they're really diving into her character. And I, I I'm for it. Amanda wasn't always kind of my favorite character, but like she wasn't my favorite either with the way that they're portraying her here and with Crow, like I'm, I'm enjoying her story. Yeah. But Amanda, you need to get over your shit and get with Crow. I I think she will. We just have to give her time. Like we gave Crow a year plus to get over his shit. Yeah. And made him go through the literal gauntlet. The actual literal gauntlet. <laughs> Leviathan joke. I know. I'm really happy with how the seasonal story is turning out. Yeah. Seasonal story is spot on, even if the expansions aren't everything we want it to be. You know, I, I'm liking it so far. Even if Lightfall wasn't what I wanted it to be, the seasonal story is really good. And like for me, it's it's finding the joy in whatever aspects of the game I can. Yeah. The Lightfall story was kind of middle of the road for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very much like Beyond Light. So I, I just kind of lumped it in there. But the seasonal story has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Anywho, should we jump into an ad? Yeah. The Lore Network. Have you ever wished that someone could just read you the lore? 
Destiny Lore Audiophile may be just the podcast you've been looking for. Join us as we bring the stories of Destiny to life, with straight readings of your favorite lore, with no analysis or commentary, or as we breathe life into these tales with acting, sound effects, and music. Currently, you can find Destiny Lore Audiophile on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes at Destiny Lore Audiophile. Audiophile is spelled with a PH instead of an F. You can find both readings and radio dramatizations of selected lore books and web lores by talented voice actors from the Destiny community. Episode releases will be announced from our Twitter pages, at HeyIt'sOrchid and at RendellZivas, so be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single performance. See you there. So how was that at? so good right yeah i don't even know if it was it was so good i couldn't even feel it it was that good it was just is, slid up right on by is that normal for you yes no you should probably you should probably see a doctor oh no <laughs> i don't want to though they're so expensive I usually just let it fester and fall off. God, trust me, I I'm I'm there with you. God. American healthcare is so expensive. Okay, so this is um Elsie Bray's book where we get to learn about Toki, who's now in Destiny Lore, who is the main character of this book. Don't even forget it. God King Toki is now in Destiny Lore. God Picture King Toki. Toki. Picture God King Toki at every turn. Toki identifies as a female um, ghost in this, but it's really God King Toki. So just identify... <laughs> Think of God King Toki when you're hearing Toki in this story. That's all you have to remember. Um, uh, this is about Elsie uh, Bray. That's all you need to know. This is Elsie Bray's story. Elvis, would you like to start? Absolutely. Awesome. God King Toki. It was a small ship and by hope more than reality, a quiet one. She had intended it just for herself, and perhaps Anna, if things went well this time around. Elsie could deal with the chaos that her little sister injected into her life. But today, chaos took the form of a curious ghost, not grasping the concept of keeping things in their proper place. Toki, Elsie sighed, brushing the phase couplers back into their labeled bin and securing it. You cannot just rifle through my workbench. Some of this equipment is dangerous. I checked the labels very carefully, Miss Bray. The ghost poked her gleaming eye out from under a spare length of photovoltaic cloth. Capacitors, couplers, and oscillators decorated her shell in a tasteful pattern. But I needed new components. You took apart my old shell. Because your old shell was made from unstable nanomachines. It could have eaten you. Well, perhaps. But I still can't float around. 
She lowered her tone in a scandalous whisper. Naked? Elsie supposed it made sense and sighed again. Modesty shouldn't mean much to metal skin, but she still wore clothing centuries after her own exo-conversion. Many days, her own presentation, her emotions, her volume, her gestures, and yes, even her clothing, was the fulcrum on which her self-control pivoted. You still shouldn't make a mess of other people's things, she finally relented. I may need these parts for repairs. I only took the broken things, Toki spun in front of a porthole, admiring her reflection. You don't seem like the type to collect broken things. Elsie prepared to double down, but her train of thought derailed as she looked up to see her surreal alien passenger slither its way into the compartment. Heading through the air with a beta fish's grace, the alien examined Toki's scrap and parts with six glittering eyes. Elsie felt wonder and discomfort creep into her as she watched. The alien, the fish for lack of a better word, had lived alone on that abandoned Ishtar space station beyond Uranus for who knew how long before Toki found it, and Elsie, in time, discovered Toki. Elsie assumed a human had brought the fish. After all, the station had shown signs of habitation in the last decade or so by someone human, or at least close enough to it. The uncertainty ate at her because she knew that everything about her future, her fate, demanded understanding all possible influences of the coming conflict. She convinced herself that only victory could break her free of these hellish time loops, whether that meant the grand victory against the pyramid fleet or the personal victory of saving her sister. She wasn't sure. But uncertainty, that was the fly in her ointment. And she was certain of nothing when it came to Toki's strange friend. Elsie sat, and the tension in her servos began to slacken. Exos didn't breathe, but a long exhale was as good for the mechanical soul as the organic. An electronic tittering brought her back into the moment. Toki swiped her fins up, and the eel-like alien followed her movements, turning a loop in the air. The ghost swept her gaze back and forth. And again, the creature followed, rolling left, then right. A thought suddenly occurred to Elsie. Toki, did you teach your friend these tricks? Toki turned a barrel roll and laughed as her companion followed. No, it just knew all this when I found it. Leaning in close, Elsie reached towards the fish, and the creature dutifully slid into her palm. She turned the form over, then again, 
digital eyes scanning every detail of the silicate body. Below the head, she found a word etched in the same careful hand that had inscribed the destroyed weapon they'd found near the creature's nest. Puka? Like the fairy? Is that your name or your species? I think it's a lovely name, Toki offered. Puka only rubbed its face into Elsie's waiting hand, demanding attention. You were a pet. Elsie gave the shining carapace a scratch, triggering a wave of... purrs? Puka's six eyes focused independently up at her and glittered. Someone taught you these tricks and then left you... Isolation. Do not mourn your sister's abandonment, Elizabeth. They are small minds. I know grandfather's words make sense, but that doesn't sate the hollowness gnawing inside my chest. I set the stylus down, plant my hands against the desk, and take a long, ragged breath of recycled air to silence the scream I need to unleash. The feeling passes. I retrieve the tool and return to business as usual in the lonely European lab. I am in control, even though I know that changes nothing. Elsie gasped and stared. Did someone teach you that trick too? Puka tilted its round eyes clockwise, then counter. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So we've met two new characters. We met a puka from the puka pond. Now, how on earth did a puka get into Elsie's ship? Well, it's said there that Toki found it and adopted it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Toki is uh, an abandoned ghost, a ghost that doesn't have a guardian, I'm assuming. It, just an unpartnered ghost. Right. So just a ghost hanging out. Hanging out with Elsie Bray. <laughs> just, I mean, if you're going to hang out with anybody, Elsie Bray is a pretty good choice. Honestly. I I mean, I, I if I were a ghost, I'd want to be her ghost. So I mean, yeah. She's a pretty good choice. I mean, take a look at that dump truck. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's unique in every way. Grandfather sure knows how to make them. Oh, God. (laughs) I'd risk it for the electric biscuit. Me too. Anyway, so they found it next to an abandoned weapon, and I'm assuming they mean um, Quicksilver, whatever it is. I don't know if they're they're referring to Quicksilver Storm or the Stranger's Rifle. I think they mean Quicksilver Storm. That very well could be. Yes, I think it's on Quicksilver Storm's actual lore itself. Because it has um, Puka and Elsie Bray and Toki on it. 
on the actual, like the flavor text for it reads three words carved by hand, affinity, altruism, awareness. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of the stranger's rifle, which at this point is the no time to explain because Mm -hmm. on that it had etched uh, the word soon. Yeah. But it makes more sense for this to be the weapon. And that's why Toki is naked. So the lore on the Quicksilver Storm actually goes before this book. Because they took all of the pretty silver off of Toki and they put it in the gun. Because Toki says, if this doesn't work, may I have my pretty silver back? I like it better on me than in a gun. (laughs) And Elsie says, your accessory came from a gun. Someone in the outer system is using weaponized nanomachines. I haven't seen that. Toki says, that shouldn't mean you can just take other people's things. Yeah, Elsie says, uh, so someone out there has a weapon I've never seen before, don't understand, and don't know how to defend against. The closest thing we've seen to this is SIVA, and these bugs are so far beyond that. Yeah, so they took SIVA, which they had when they left Earth, and they just made them better. Which, I mean, if you remember in Lightfall, we've seen them use the nanomachines. Yep. I mean, they are better than SIVA. Yeah. I, I mean, we did wonder if we were going to see SIVA again. and that We kind of have. They're better than SIVA. This is the next step after SIVA. Well, and, and this is exactly what I meant with, like, we won't see SIVA featured but we will see siva again like it's always going to be in the background of the background this is the kind of thing that that i'm i'm referring to the fact of like there's a nano machine that essentially is siva 2.0 or even 3.0 right it's not the heavy featured you know, concept or anything, but it is a point in the story. And then it's like, oh, hey, all right, move on. Right. It's very exciting. Um, we'll do Quicksilver Storm as a little lore probably soon. Eventually soon. It'll be soon. But that goes with this lore book. That'll be very exciting. Should we go to the next one? Absolutely. I don't think there's anything else except that God King Toki is here. And I'm so very excited. Anyway. Oh, but now Toki's not even in the next one. Oh, so sad. Okay. I stole all the Toki the from next you. One. God damn it. No, Toki's right here. Toki's at my feet. It's okay. <laughs> Toki's taking a break. All right. Here's the next entry. Without Toki and her off-key humming, the ship felt emptier. Puka had chosen to stay behind, had chosen Elsie for reasons that escaped her. The alien's background noise filled in some of the gaps left in Toki's absence, but it didn't seem like enough to overcome the lonely thrum and ring of the engines. Get out of that fish! It was remarkable how quickly the alien became obnoxious, especially when upending Toki's treasure canister the minute Elsie left the curious beast unattended. She shooed the slithering creature away and... Loss. I still know my partner is out here. I can feel us moving away from them, Toki comments. I'm an idiot for expecting a ghost to stay anywhere but their guardian's side for long. But the stop on Titan to replenish the deuterium tank was supposed to be simple. 
Toki's goodbye blindsides. Stop that! Elsie exclaimed and shoved Puka aside to tidy the mess once again. Each etched diode and a bit of cowling landed harder than necessary in the old ration canister. Puka retreated to one of the upper lockers and huffed with sounds that could have been sadness or anger. My head is messed up enough without you digging around in there to win an argument. She felt silly, lecturing an alien being like Mother once lectured her Pomeranian. If the creature understood, the six glassy eyes betrayed nothing. Elsie pressed the tension lid closed again. I'm sorry. Loneliness. You can make jewelry with them, or give them to friends. Toki, I don't want your garbage. I just don't want you to feel bad. Where I'm going will be very dangerous. You leaving is best for both of us. I understand why you need to say that. Yuka chirped, now pushing into Elsie's hands and turning its gaze back to Toki's treasure canister. Fondness. I turn over the bolt stop in my hands again. The laser-carved loops and swirls lend the ceramic and organic grace. I'll admit it, you're pretty good at this, you little troublemaker. It cooed and coiled. Guilt. Toki refuses to speak, and maybe I realize I deserve it this time. No, fish, you need to... Rejection. No, il torture mi filo, see? Elsie, say it's not you. Say it's not. Say he hasn't locked you up in that walking lazaretto to die. I feel mother's horror at the sight of me at a pressure, a stage instruction more than an emotion. Mom, mom, please. Je vais bien. Je ne suis pas comme mon père. Inshallah. Stop. Elsie's legs gave out and her body shook there on the floor where she landed hard. Luca shrieked and wrapped itself behind the discarded tin of treasures. How dare you! She struggled to her feet and the world spun. With three gentle steps, she felt her vision settle, felt the cool, firm steel of the deck beneath her and the gentle thrum of the ship's vibration up through her ankles, her knees, and into her chest. And in the wake of peace, the sorrow bubbled up. Holy crap. Like, essentially, this this puka is making Elsie relive memories. I think that's how it communicates. Wouldn't surprise me, but like... Because they all start with, like, a feeling and then a double slash, because you can't see what we're reading. Right. So, the way all of the quotes start is a long dash and then like a feeling loneliness double slash and then the quote is how it actually looks on the page right so we have loss loneliness fondness guilt rejection and and in the previous one we had isolation like they're very big feelings yeah no, that like talking about that, it it makes sense that that's how the puka is trying to communicate because it can't speak. It's that, or in the game, like in the post game, um, when you're talking to the information kiosk lady, the annoying one, Quinn. Quinn, 
She's so annoying. I really like her. Um, when you're rebuilding all of the monuments in the Blue Jay quests and you go to all of like the information kiosks, they talk about the Puka Ponds and how the Puka are like the like how people have dogs for like emotional support animals. Yeah. So they're like emotional support pukas. So I'm wondering if this is like the puka is acting like an emotional support puka and trying to help her through like for Elsie and like help her through her bullshit because she's obviously like super broken and like being by herself working through Clovis Bray. Right. That is some deep shit. At the same time, like you're also working through, you know, this is if she just got her puka. This is the beginning of Beyond Light, right? I believe so. Or before it. So beyond so she doesn't have stasis yet, maybe. Oh god, no. Like it will so we don't know if she had her fish. We we don't know if she has stasis yet. No, but she had her fish in Beyond Light though. Right. Like this is before we got stasis, but we don't know if she had. So let's place this in like 2020. In the timeline, because Beyond Light came out November 10th, 2020. Right. So this this would be sometime before November. Before then. Yeah. If it comes out in real time, let's say. Right. So this is before, you know, Rasputin, before all of that. So this is sometime. This could even be before arrivals. We don't know. Right. So, I mean, this is a long time ago in the span of Destiny. A ton of stuff has happened since then. Like, we've lost entire planets. And they've come back since then. (laughs) (laughs) Like, think of all the shit that's happened. Yeah. Since 2020. I mean, hell, we had Beyond Light. We had Witch Queen and uh, now Lightfall. Yeah. And the seasons (laughs) in between. Yeah. So, yeah. There's just so much stuff in here. Oh, there's also um, Toki has a guardian. Toki is not guardianless. Toki is just separated from their guardian. See, I had read that as Toki was still finding their guardian, and she could feel the pull from from somewhere else. Oh, see, I just thought Toki was just away from their guardian. Like I could see that. I I could see it. It's just the way I I initially took it. It was, uh, I still know my partner is out here. I can feel us moving away from them. Okay, so then they they probably are unbonded. But then going off of what Elsie said or thinks, you know, I'm an idiot for expecting a ghost to stay anywhere but their guardian's side for long. This stop on Titan to replenish the deuterium tank was supposed to be simple. Toki's goodbye blindsides. So maybe Toki found their guardian on Titan. Well, see, that's that's making it sound like they they were just doing a pit stop at on Titan, and Toki was like, mm-hmm. "We're we're pretty far away from where my guardian is." My guardian's here. Oh, yeah. You know, I still know my partner is out here. I can feel us moving away from them. Right. Like. I, I can see it the way you you took it, but I, I can also see it hmm. the way I took it. Like, there's nothing is definitive at this point. 
Because like Toki would be giving a goodbye to try and get back to their guardian or to go hunt for their guardian. No, I think you're right. They're going to go hunt for their guardian, but I'm looking at it as their guardian is on Titan. I don't know. Maybe. Or a potential guardian is on Titan. Who knows? I mean, um, we also have her mom speak in French. And her mom is pretty horrified. Yeah. Her mom is also Muslim or African, French-speaking. Because usually, if you're going to say, inshallah, uh, you're Muslim. And if she's French-speaking, probably African. Okay. Because that's where the French-speaking Muslims would be, would be Africa, usually. And, and I, I know so little about that. Or, or, I mean, it, it could also be in France, but that's where the majority of them would live. If they're in, an, if they're on Earth, I mean, they could be literally anywhere. So, all right, let's read the next one. This is this is you. You're reading this. This is you. Elsie wasn't sure how long she had cried. The dry mechanical sobs of her inorganic frame were timeless. A mimeograph of relief. But in the end, she found herself propped up, back against the bulkhead, and letting the thrum of the ship serve as her ersatz heartbeat. Her companion wiggled under her arms and looked up. She sensed a faintness, a wisp of connection like smoke in her peripheral vision. Concern. Last drops of rain passed by, but I don't notice anything beyond the ladybug toppled by the rain spout. The stillness of it, as Willa takes it in her hand. Finally, it kicks and rights itself. I squeal. Elsie focused. I thought you were dredging these up, but you're not, are you? She considered her own question and rubbed the creature's cheek. What what passed for a cheek? With her thumb, she lifted Puka to her face. Something pressed at her mind, beyond the creature's vague look of confusion. A familiar contour, emotion begging for context, satisfaction. Satisfaction. The sparrow's engine shudders and spews steam before finally buzzing to life. It drifts lazily off the blocks, and I can't stop smiling, even though I know it's the goofiest grin. You're shaping whatever you feel, she mused, and her mind drifted back to warm beaches with Willa and Alton, their tiny footsteps slowly filling with saline from the warm, wet sand. Nature abhors a vacuum. And my heart fills it up. That could be dangerous, she realized. Puka chittered happily as Elsie began stroking the silicate head. But you wouldn't be someone's pet if you were dangerous, would you? Elsie's mind wandered back to the lonely space station where she found the curious creature of the enormous human handprint left behind 
and the titanic rifle that Toki had scavenged to dress herself. So why does the person who needs a giant gun also keep a little psychic fish that makes you feel memories? Oh, hey, a giant gun. We know who makes those. The Cloud Striders do. I'm going off of the enormous human handprint. Yeah. Because they big. Yeah, they super big. They chunky. They got big hams. <laughs> like, they Keitel size. They bigger than Keitel. They make Keitel look normal size. Right? <laughs> they make they make us look like children. Like, honestly, we act like children when we're around them, too, so. Like. I, I just kind of want a scene where, like, our guardian walks up to uh, Nimbus and just kind of holds our hands up and goes, up. Up. That would be amazing. <laughs> Nimbus just puts us on their shoulder. Right. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Uppies. <laughs> Uppies. <laughs> That'd be so good. I like how Elsie's figured out how the puka works. So that's great. Yeah. And now we have context of how it kind of works, too. We do. And she seems less afraid of it now, but she does say it's this could be dangerous. And I don't know if it's because it's like she's an exo or she's lived like a thousand lifetimes or 800. How many is it? 800 and at this point, 13 or something resets. Well, and, and, and that's just canonical resets. That's not even including the time loops. Right. So, like, at, at this point, she's lived hundreds, if not thousands of lives. Right. And and we just, we don't know. Yeah. Because she has the dark timelines plus her actual canonical resets. Yep. And everything else. Man, that is a lot of stuff just jangling around in her head. I would not want the puka to go searching for context of that no thank you uh-uh not in that brain soup well and no nope. and i think elsie put it best you're shaping whatever you feel and my heart fills it up yeah it was the isolation you know it felt isolated so then elsie felt a a memory where she felt isolated right it felt rejection so elsie felt a memory where she was rejected by her mother. Yeah. It's not that the puka is specifically calling those memories. I think it's more like the puka is guiding Elsie's memory to an event where she felt that way. Like, I've not read this book, so I don't know where this is going, but I am afraid if this is where it's leading of how the puka will unravel the memories of like the dark future lore book since that's like the most heavily tied to her that we know of uh because we've not revisited that in a while and that's probably her worst fears all in one space yeah especially if the puka if she's like this could be dangerous and the puka is kind of innocent in all of this because the puka is just trying to communicate. 
And it really was the way that the cloud striders understood to communicate. And they weren't, I mean, they're not allowed, the cloud striders, I mean, are not allowed to communicate or to have like those big emotions as Nimbus kind of explained. After the, God, what was it called? It like wasn't a death. It was like, it wasn't, it wasn't even a memorial. It was like a retirement, but it was a memorial. Uh, what for the, the cloud striders? Yeah. Uh, cause they like called it a memorial, but it like wasn't. Well, like it, essentially it was right because it, it was, and, and like I'm using spoiler alert, I'm using Rohan's memorial as the, the guidance here. Right, but like I'm thinking of the abeyant leap boots that you have, the Titan boots, the exotics, the Trey Montaigne were Rohan's Rohan's friend, who's another Cloud Strider on those boots, and they died before Rohan did. Essentially, it comes down to they retired before Rohan did, and and see. The way I'm reading that, it's that the... It's like a retirement ceremony. They take their core out and it makes a plinth and then they slowly fall apart. Right. Like in quiet solitude, like in a hospital and die and no one is there to watch them except like the other Cloud Strider or friend. Right. And it's the saddest fucking thing I've ever read. Well, because like from my understanding of it, there's only ever two Cloud Striders. Yeah. A master and an apprentice. Yeah, so the apprentice watches the master who retired die. And then they become the master. Yeah. (laughs) Because you watch, like, what's going to happen to you. But you're not allowed to have those big, like, feelings. The Cloud Striders are literally the Sith. No. Why would you say that? The rule of two? They're cyberpunks. Well, yeah. But like, but yeah, there's the rule of two. Yeah, they are the Sith. There's the rule of two. There's the fact that you know they they don't yeah. feel emotions, or they well they, they feel emotions. They're just not allowed to show them. I think, or they bottle them up to, so that they don't show them. Like, yeah, the Cloud Striders are Sith. It's just they do it for the good of people instead of for their own, you know, selfish gain. They're Sith, but they do it for the lulls. Maybe. I mean. Kind of. I guess the Sith do it for the lulls, too. If it really comes down to it. I, I was looking at it as the it essentially it would be like if the Jedi went the Sith route. Like, they they do it for the good of people, but they hold all these rules. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to read this next one before I say something that Star Wars fans are going to get real mad at me for. (laughs) The Jedi are bad people. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Here's the next one. Oh, God, the Jedi are so, so bad. Absolutely. They're bad. All right. Here we go. Elsie planted her feet apart again and braced herself. One more time. Evolution kit bashed the human mind 
rebuilding arboreal rodents foraging for nuts into screaming tailless apes at the helms of starships. But for all the miracles it performed, the Pleistocene hardware of the brain was bound by its physical limits. Memories were nothing but pathways of nerve impulse stored as electric signals dancing across them in recall and atrophied by neglect. Even without considerations of size, the sapient mind could only think about so much in a given day, limiting the span of human experience to perhaps a few hundred years. The dirty secret of those who survived the collapse is that none of them, from drunken exo to celestial queen, remembered every detail. They remembered moments, minutes, hours, whatever left deep enough scars that they couldn't help but run the fingers of the mind across them every morning. Neglect rendered everything in between, weeks, years, decades, into murky depths explored by only bare hooks on the thinnest emotional filaments. Elsie's time loops compounded the problem. Her head locked away an order of magnitude more memories than any living human, and each plunge backward through causality blurred those details. Like jolting from a night terror, only the final moments stood out in sharp relief each time she restarted. Untangling the mess of cause and effect, sorting where she went right and what she needed to change, it ate away at her precious few decades before everything collapsed and she would begin the process anew. Any tool that let her trawl memories from that lost place, even at random, was a tool worth mastering. Elsie set her feet apart and let the ship's thrum rise through her body again. They had dabbled with a dozen emotions that helped her dive into her previous loops. Through lines on which to string lost context, she found that emotions sparked by failure, despair, rage, fear were best for the work. And the worst for her. She thought back to the memory that no amount of resets could hope to scrub. Her first memory as an exo. A frail old man unwound like a blanket of organic human chaos laid in tiny lines by precise mechanical hands and of her own overriding need to end the brutality before she understood she was saving the real monster. Dread filled her. Her companion tasted it and fed it back over and over one loop of memory after another. Despair. So this is the honor of the braze, Zavala spits at me. His working hand reaches for Tarj, reaches for a connection to his god even after it abandoned him. The ghost lies cold and dark. Cade was right to put a bullet through Anna. I only wish I'd let him end you too. We're past bravado, I explain as a fire dies in my soul. There's only one step left before this ends. And what is that, stranger? I place the rifle barrel to his forehead. Mercy. Nothing. Despair. I can't let you stop us, Ikora declares with a chill that rocks even me. I feel the pulse of her void shudder in my chest, spilling fluids and triggering dozens of status alarms. 
Not when we're this close. No. Despair. What have you done? I scream as Mara Sob's body drops lifelessly to the ground. Elsie, listen to me. This was necessary. The darkness cannot thrive while believers of the light remain. There's a world beyond this conflict. Let's go there together. Anna pleads. This is not the way. I cry and ready my stasis. Stasis, it had a name. That power she felt herself wielding in lives long past. The knife that could cut the darkness. Her mind began to spin and Elsie consciously planted herself in the present once more. Her sensors registered the hydrocarbon lubricants and distinctive thiopolymers of ship life. She pushed away the shape of concern Puka pressed into her soul before it could replace this filament that she'd hunted for. Again. Those are some big emotions. Holy shit. Right? Oh, as we were, we were very right. Or I was right. Uh, it's yeah. That's a lot of of dark history there. Right. It's, that's all dark lore book shit. We have Zavala there. We see Tarj, his ghost. Well, his Tarj's dead body. Tarj's dead body. Poor Tarj. Is this Zavala with the beard? I I believe so. That's my favorite Zavala, even though he's missing a leg. Although I think this Zavala only has like one good working hand. Oh, was he missing a hand and not a leg? I thought he was missing. I, I don't know. I don't remember. Why did I think he was missing a leg? He's missing some sort of limb. See that. But she's just chasing despair. This is so punishing. It is. The fact that she's doing it in order to find things to help. And we're right. She finds stasis. She finds that thing that can help her. It's so punishing. Oh, my God. See, now. What do you think? I, I agree with you. Like, she is willingly punishing herself. And it's it's heartbreaking. My mind is is more focused on, like, there's a few breadcrumbs in here that's got me working on a theory that this is actually taking place, like, Back in vanilla D1 or a little bit before that. I don't know. I have no idea. This is I it's been a while since we did the dark future and it's I don't remember. Well, because at the beginning of every loop, Cade was just made Hunter Vanguard. Right. I think she said in this it was a couple a couple decades it was a couple decades, right? We don't have an actual answer. But my question is more about the fact of like, is that a couple decades from when the loop started or a couple decades in this current loop? I'm assuming a couple decades from when the loop starts each time. Because I think that's how it was in the dark future. Untangling the mess of cause and effect, sorting where she went right and what needed to change. It ate away at her precious few decades before everything collapsed and she would begin the process anew. So essentially, each loop is only a couple decades. 
Hmm. But like, we still don't know how many loops. I'm assuming dozens. At least. And we know that primarily because of one of the extra stranger grimoire cards back from right. like vanilla D1. Mm-hmm. There were almost like a dozen journal entries in that specific one that I'm I'm thinking of. Right. Essentially, she's several hundred years old, possibly even a thousand. Mm-hmm. Because like we don't know the the time difference between the collapse and the city age. Right. And she's been in the loop for one to two hundred years. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. And that could be why she felt it was dangerous because and at, at this point she's weaponizing it, trying to use it as a tool because the puka forces, you know, reliving those memories. And it, it says here, you know, any tool that let her trawl memories from that lost place, even at random, was a tool worth mastering. So she's doing this all to herself willingly mm-hmm. to try and find the key. And I think she found it with uh, the stasis, but like she's trying to find the specific thing that will allow her to change the dark future. Right. God, this is getting good. It really is. Yeah. Do you want to read the next one? Yeah. I mean, she found stasis. She found its name. So we'll see where it goes from there. But how did I learn stasis? Elsie cupped her curious pet. It blinked erratically. One eye, then three, then two. The fish wanted to help, even if it didn't understand the what or how of it. Elsie tried to conjure up the feelings behind her earlier vision. The desperation and fear and loathing in the moments before killing her own sister. They brought her secrets and shames and timelines best left forgotten, but no closer to stasis. Puka slithered under her chin, clicking and cooing. You were trained for this kind of work, weren't you? Some kind of... She struggled for a clever analogy. Field therapist? Trained you to soothe, maybe work with exposure therapy? She stroked absentmindedly at Puka's smooth body, losing herself in possibility the way she hadn't let herself since the Europan think tank. Plunging people into their nightmares again and again must be... Nightmare. I was a fool to ever place my trust in you, Eris, the nightmare of Ariana 3 bellows. You watched the hive unmake us one by one, and then you bowed to their god to save your own flesh. Indecision grips Eris Morn as her doubts overwhelm her, so I dig deep and focus. The bitter alkaloid sensation creeps up my throat. I call out my stasis and drive it across the battlefield entombing the haunting vision. Her detractor paralyzed, Eris turns back to me with a shred of control. 
It seems I am not the only one carrying secrets. We'll discuss it later, I promise. First, we need to get out of... Elsie jerked back to the present. The memory of bitter, inorganic salts lingered in the back of her mouth. Puka shivered against her chest, but she probed at the creature again, losing herself in the sensation. Her companion pressed the shape of the lingering flavor into her heart, and it rushed to fill the indentation. Alkaloid. I let the sensation fade and noticed the acerbic tightness in my chest fade as well. Now you try. Eris breathes, then draws out a fragment of stasis from the shard. The gesture, she redirects the energy outward, and a thin spire of crystal erupts from the lunar regolith. Quick study, I comment. It is not so dissimilar to how I control the hive magics. This stasis of yours is less refined but considerably more. She pauses to think. Overt. Elsie tried the probe memory of sensation again, but Puka dozed quietly. She let herself nap there against the deck with Puka, and her memories opened of their own accord. She dreamed of blue light falling like rain and tearing the last city to flinders. I don't know what flinders are. I, I don't either. So time to go to the Google. Precisely five minutes and 37 seconds later. Small fragments or splinters. The panel has been smashed to flinders. Fragments or splinters. Why don't you just say splinters? Yeah. Somebody got their thesaurus out. Oh, no, it's also a university in Adelaide in South Australia. I mean, obviously, that's what it is. Obviously, that's what they meant. University falling from the sky. Uh, it's, that's the first thing I would have thought. <laughs> this is interesting that she discovered how she learned stasis and then also how she taught Eris stasis as well. Yeah. I mean... Those of us that played Beyond Light when it, it came out, and I mean, I assume everyone who's listening to this also played Beyond Light because I think you have to to get stasis. I don't think they just unlock it for you. I don't know anymore. I wish they would just unlock it for you because that quest is annoying. But like you discover it and you go to a shard and have to commune with it. Much like you commune with little green spaghetti to get strand same kind of idea little green spaghetti strand looks like green spaghetti all right i mean you're not wrong it looks like lime spaghetti i've just been calling it green spaghetti in my head whenever i play i'm like yep i'm on the green spaghetti class this is just flinging my green spaghetti God. green noodles let's go Noodle, noodle, noodle. <sighs> what? I didn't say a word. You were saying all you needed to say in that big sigh you just <laughs> did. 
I heard all the disappointment I needed to hear. You're like, wow, working, you're such a powerful warlock with all that green spaghetti you're flinging all over the place. I mean... <laughs> you didn't have to say shit. You were thinking it right at me. I could hear it. It was so loud. You're not wrong. <laughs> um, but she did kind of nail what Puka, what the Puka is, is that she's kind of a field therapist is what she comes up with, which I think is also a good like analogy. Yeah. I mean, she kind of nailed it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time we've seen Nightmare. Yeah. I'm wondering what alkaloid means, like as an emotion. No, me being a chemist, an alkaloid is an organic compound. And to be an alkaloid, it has to have one nitrogen atom. So that is where I am coming from when I'm thinking of alkaloid. So I don't know what this means. And so if anyone does, can you at me, please? And see, I had taken it as um, as kind of like a, a strong taste. Oh, because like there there are certain memories that like smell or taste brings you into that memory. Oh, like the smell of, you know, grandma's cookies or stuff like that i mean like some alkaloids are like morphine and poisons are alkaloids or like strychnine is an alkaloid so i mean like grandma's cookies could just have morphine in them i mean those are some grandma's cookies grandma's got that drip going it's <laughs> got something going on. But no, like it, th- what what's bringing me to think that is this passage here. Elsie jerked back to the present. The memory of bitter inorganic salts lingered in the back of her mouth. Oh. So like she's thinking of that taste. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense because alkaloids do have that kind of bitter. Because then it says, you know, alkaloid. I let the sensation fade and notice that acerbic uh, tightness in my chest fade as well. Okay. So it like I, I keep going back to like you know smelling grandma's cookies. I mean, like alkaloids are better. Right. I was making a real world comparison. I mean, like they're usually toxic and they elicit they like have a bitter taste. So. Well, yeah, but she's a robot, so. Oh, no, I was going to say they literally taste bitter because they bind your taste bud receptors that couple to G proteins. And G protein activation initiates a signaling cascade. It produces a sensation of bitterness in your mouth, and that's why they're bitter. Huh. Chemistry. Okay. Mm hmm. So that's why they're bitter. Gotcha. Hmm. So, I mean, like, that's that. That makes more sense to me. Thank you. You've solved it. <laughs> You're a genius. Thank you. I'm just reading the words and interpreting. You're so smart. I would not have gotten that without you. 
I'm going to read the next one. Sounds good. Maybe you can solve it for me again. Okay. Here's the next one. Tickling the sleeping dragon's tail, bygone scientists had called it. Elsie planned to delicately probe the apocalyptic edges and prayed they wouldn't awaken it. Alkaloid. For just a moment, it all threatens to run away with me, but I choke back the tears and bury them deep. Without the cloud of emotions, blipping sideways from St. Fourteen's grenade is second nature. I whip a spike of stasis past his head and pierce Geppetto. The ghost shrieks as it falls to the ground and Saint's attention breaks just long enough to snare him in a timeless prison. I bury it deeper. Focus. My love! Osiris charges, hurling a gout of solar to herd me left. I dive right into the flames. There is no pain, no heat. I fix my sights on this combatant's foreign shore and nothing else. Osiris is a barrier to that journey, and so I drive that control deep into his heart. I feel that stasis vibrate, clanging off the warlock's light. I bury the feeling, focus. But the echo doesn't stop. Numb stillness tickles my fingers and toes as hoarfrost begins to consume me. I push down the misery, the isolation. Focus only, maintain. It creeps up and I feel the radiolaria in me seize. Not the timeline she needed, she realized. Elsie shook off the memory of an infinitely long and short decade spent in that icy prison. She found her feet and grounded herself in the thrum of engines before turning once more to her strange companion. She remembered licking her lips long ago when she had them and called that memory back along with the acerbic taste of stasis. Alkaloid. I put another round through the motionless hydra. It shatters like glass. I know this, I mutter, picking up a broken spike and watching it sublimate into ether. I've no doubt, Osiris responds. His rhyme-caked hands crackle and pop. I saw glimpses of you wielding this power during my time in the infinite forest. It is what drove me to seek it out here after Oryx corrupted Sagira. It proved a simple skill, he continues as the pyramid slides and shifts to create a hallway. I am already well practiced in manifesting my will no matter the obstacles. The emotional thread unraveled in a storm of dry lecture and the link dissolved. With barely a moment to steady herself, Elsie plunged into the acerbic sensation again. Alkaloid. This is a power that has made its home in your heart before. Aramis strokes my cheek, and I can feel the chill through insensate steel and ceramic. You must open yourself to it, lure it with honeyed words. And once it is within your grasp, coil around and crush its will with your own. I thrust my hands against the crux again and push aside the pain. There is no whine or crack of metal shearing in absolute zero. There is only what needs doing. Puka broke the link as Elsie began screaming. It took another hour of listening to the ship around her, losing herself in the here and now before she could try again. Alkaloid. 
The first bolt of stasis halts the Taken midway through his charge. Excellent, Mara comments. You know the stance like you were born to it. Again. She parts her hands and calls three more of her Taken servants to the fight. My mind rushes to the crux once more, and I fill my every sense with it, shutting out the taste, smell, feel, sound of the real world in favor of what I need. The crux. These other timelines are wild. The fact that Osiris has it and is just like, yeah, I totally nailed it. Like, I'm so good at this. Look at me go. Like, stasis, 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 stasis. I'm going to tell you 10 hours about how good I am at it. And I'm like, that's why doesn't he have it? In in our timeline, I have no clue. Yeah. Just go give him stasis. Like, he'd be so good at it. He has strand now, doesn't he? Uh, We haven't seen him use it. We know he's kind of starting to experiment with it. But, like, some of these timelines are just wild. They really are. Like, she attacked Saint-14, killed his ghost. Osiris is my love! <laughs> I'm just like, nah. And then she killed Osiris. Yeah, that was wild. And then there was another timeline where Oryx corrupted Sagira. Yeah. And so we obviously did not kill Oryx in that timeline. There was another timeline where Aramis was an ally of Elsie. Right. Essentially teaching her how to use stasis. There was another timeline where Mara had the Taken. Like, she controlled the Taken. So she killed Oryx and took his power in that timeline? I I have no clue. I'm assuming that's how she got the power to wield the Taken in that timeline. I, I have no clue. But like I said, wild. It, those are good timelines. Like, I love alternate what would destiny be if we weren't there alternate, kind of timeline. Alternate history kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it's great. Like, more of that, please. I mean, no, because that would make the lore really hard to follow because it's like, did that happen? Did that not happen? What's happening now? Well, like, essentially, it would be fan fiction that, like, it would be a filler thing. Yeah. Because it it would have no real bearing on what currently is going on, except... It'd be all Chronicon all the time. Well, like, it it would have bearing on Elsie's personality. Right. But nothing past that. Oh, okay. Right. It would be a a character development filler episode. Oh, Okay. I think it would be really interesting. It would. Um, if they or if they like sucked us into an alternate dimension. Also, it'd be like, oh, the Guardian is suddenly not in the real timeline. Like, what kind of damage would that do? Ooh. So like everything that like we've done, because we've saved the world so many times. And suddenly we're not there. Oh, shit. Like, just unravel one of those things of many. Ooh, now, now, like, imagine if the light and darkness saga concludes and, like, we actually win, mm-hmm. which is probably going to happen. Okay. Instead of there being just like this, this, ha- and everybody lives happily ever after ending, 
we get pulled into one of these alternate realities. Like that could open up so many things and they could easily dive into any of them for the future of the game. Interesting. Like they could do some some off the wall stuff like what if Cade you know was was commander and killed off the other two or it, it like they could do anything and make it canonical. It would essentially be Destiny's version of a what if series from Marvel. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. That'd be interesting as like a whole side thing for like one season. I would be I'd be into that. Anyway, this is as just like an aside. I really like this just this one. It's the idea of like the woulda coulda shoulda of Destiny is always really cool. I like that. Do you want to read the next one? Absolutely. Cool. Elsie felt the nightmare manifest long before she saw it. The European pyramid pressed shapes into her heart the same way Puka could. But the molds it cast were deeper and more urgent. The worst parts of her soul rushed to fill the hollow. Still not tired of this, Elizabeth? Red mists congealed into Anna's form. The wound in her ethereal chest dripped and smoldered. You're not real. All that mattered was the crux. Elsie's visions had revealed the how. All she needed now was enough substance in her present time to flesh out that buried muscle memory. I'm more real than the carving copy sister you think you'll save this time. The nightmare's wound snaked up to manifest a fractured skull. How many dead Annas am I made from? Ten? Twelve? Are we counting them all, or just the ones you killed personally? Breaking the nightmare's bond was easier than it should have been. Pyramid's gift for constructing this revenant was a grand imitation of Puka's gift. Elsie felt like any link to her sister. Elsie felt like any link to her sister. Even her own self-loathing wearing an Anastasia mask should have been harder to unravel. The nightmare dissolved back into warm mist. She took a moment to feel Puka shiver beneath her cloak, appreciating the tactile feeling. It's okay, she comforted. Pyramids slid doors and realigned hallways, trying to keep her from its beating heart. It knew she was here too early this time. She'd walked these halls time and time again to pull stasis from the crux like an Excalibur personal hell. But always, someone else found it first. Always. They taught her the secret she already knew. Always, they fell to the seductive whispers on the other side, and she stood as the lone soul, uncorrupted by the exposure. Or at least, she was the only one who recalled feeling guilt for allowing it. Puka led the way, 
It could sniff out stagnant pools of darkness as easily as it could root out Elsie's buried emotions. Trauma smelled the same, whether it was in the heart or hanging in the air, Elsie supposed. Dream logic and half-forgotten memories made for a passable map in Elsie's mind, and despite the structure's efforts, she found her way to the pyramid's heart and the empty plinth where the crux should have stood. Finally, ahead of the game and still too late. Oh my gosh. Nightmares and pyramids now have like such a different connotation after the raid this past weekend. Right. With Nezarak and everything else. So I'm listening to this with like different eyes and like reading this with different eyes than before. If I had read this, you know, before the raid. Right. You know? So, like, how, like, after you read this, like, how did you feel reading this? Like, knowing, like, Nezarak, it was, is, like, essentially, like, the prince of nightmares. And, like, now knowing that the nightmares are literally just fuel for Nezarak. It's literally his nightmare fuel. Yeah. Literally nightmare fuel. And it's always a personal way of doing it. Yeah. Nezarak's methods are... Spot on. Like, I hate what, what Nezarek does, but, like, the methods are spot on. A lot of this is just, you know, Elsie trying to deal with the nightmare that is her sister being let down or killed by her. And we know this time, or we know because of this entry that she's on, like, loop number 12 or so at least right you know how many dead annas am i made from 10 12 are we counting them all or just the ones you killed personally Ugh, that's so hard and to like you know that it's the nightmare of anna saying that so like yeah it's gotta hit hard mm-hmm. and and Elsie actually points that out and she's like, it should have been tougher to dispel the nightmare. It's almost like she's become desensitized to it. God, I feel for her. I really do. Like it's some people have easy lives and Elsie has had no easy life at all. She's had, you know, hundreds, thousands of very not easy lives. I cannot even imagine. Right. I feel so bad for her. I'm going to read the next one because we are almost at the end. We are so close. Sounds good. All right. Shock had taken hold and Elsie wasn't sure how long she'd spent staring into the shadows. The gentle sound of tapping, like steel wrapping against stone, guided her back to reality. When awareness finally crept from subconscious to conscious mind, she turned to watch Puka shove and roll an iron scrap across the floor. Is there anything you won't make into a toy, Puka? 
but Elsie felt the shadows grow long as she walked over to investigate. The scrap glistened wrong in her flashlight's beam, and as she bent down close, the iron, no, not iron, something not quite metal, was cold in a way no physical object could be. This is a very short entry, and it makes me think that Elsie was able to find the crux. Yes. Not much more to it than that. Nope, it's very short. Yeah. Very, very short. Would you like to read the next one? Sounds good. I do like, I will say before you move on, is that it's cute that she thinks Puka can just make a toy out of anything. Right? It's like one of those dogs that finds anything and and just starts playing with it. Yeah. I think it's cute. Okay, read the next one. The crux was broken. Or maybe was never whole in the first place. In the way that solid matter should be. The shard that remained held darkness. Just a fraction. But to someone who had spent a dozen hazy lifetimes mastering how to use darkness, it was an oasis in the endless expanse of light. She reached her will into the shard and a part of her reflexively shuddered, awaiting a pain that never struck or a sound that was never heard. She pushed back against her mental recoil and touched the deeply familiar cold. It tickled and clawed and begged something intangible from her. But Elsie closed her mind to everything except her true purpose. In her heart of hearts, the wall of blue-tinged facets was already there. It only took concentration to make it reality. Focus. Control. The will of the Bray is the true fundamental force in this world. Grandfather intones, pulling me upright. My twisted ankle screams, but I can stay silent. I can be a Bray. Now walk. Her foot caught in place. A gleaming layer of stasis swallowed her heel. Her foot her leg. She couldn't lose control. Focus. It spread up and across her torso, consumed her shoulders. Not coldness, not numbness, just emptiness. Puka sat on her immobile hand, gazing at her and blinking erratically. Elsie was in control. A Bray alone could master this. The stasis swallowed her head, and the moment stretched out forever. Too tight. Tight. Oh, daughter. Mom squeezes me tight. You can't make them love you, inshallah. You have to let go. The horror consumed her as easily as the stasis. 
She felt like a frightened child cast loose in the wind. Alone. Every assertion of control met by a temper tantrum in the face of a hurricane. Inshallah. She half remembered her mother's words and let go. The crystalline prison shattered. Ugh. Having her mom be there. You can't make them love you. You have to let go. Uh, right. My heart. Right. My heart. Now, uh, oh my God. Outside the memories, it sounds like what is happening to her is pretty much what happened to us in the campaign for Beyond Light. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the stasis crystals are creeping up and they practically cover us. And then we just explode out of it. So it just like. It just consumes you, and then you have to, like, overcome stasis, I guess. Because I know when they described it in the game, when we were getting stasis, it's like it's like a battle of wills. Yes. Yeah. So she's overcoming that willpower or getting that willpower to be able to wield it. Because I guess people crumble to, to stasis because they just don't have the willpower. It's a high willpower stat. You have to have high, you have to put a lot into willpower if you want to wield it. I mean, yeah. But yeah, um, she she gets it by remembering her mom. Yeah, she does. It's really nice. The, the thing that gets me is she gets it by remembering her mom in relation to um, like feeling tightness. Yeah. It's also interesting that she keeps remembering her grandfather when it comes to like control and all these negative emotions. And then she'll remember her mother and that's how she overcomes things. Because we never really heard about her mom until this lore book. Like, did we really hear about her mom at all? Ever? Not that I remember. There might have been like one or two small things, but like, I just don't remember. I want to say that her mother was cruel. Was she? I, I again, like I'm trying to remember, but I, I just, I don't. No, she was adopted into their family, right? Anna was. Anna was. Okay. And, and that might be what I'm, I'm remembering is how cold she was to Anna or I might be remembering their their sister Willa okay interesting well we have one more should we read it absolutely okay Elsie sat in the dim silence for she knew not how long Uka wrapped itself around a mechanical arm and purred, but Elsie couldn't find the will to nuzzle back. Instead, she carefully wrapped the shard in her hood and tucked it securely into her pack. Words hadn't saved her or her mother's faith. It was then that she realized Stasis thrived off her need for rigid order to fit foregone conclusions and scientific principles into the messy abstract of creation. 
and when she lost herself to purpose, Stasis happily consumed all she was. Only that briefest admission that the universe was outside her influence, surrender broke her bonds. Stasis wasn't the sum total of darkness any more than Ark was light. It was an aspect, a shape, and a tool. Every sword was made from iron, and all iron was swords. Stasis was a tool forged by control and focus, and to her shame she couldn't imagine what else she could spring forth if any other force in the cosmos drove her forward like that singular need for control. What other abilities? What shapes and tools could be forged by deference or compassion? What could she have done, she realized in dawning horror, if she loved and relied on Anna beyond the way she needed to control Anna? Dread crawled up her spine, but she knew what she needed. Allies beyond her control. Allies who were versed in darkness as well as light, who could take her secrets of stasis to the light bearers at large teach a hundred or a thousand souls to forge iron into a sword and just maybe one will figure out how to make a plowshare too she'd never tried it before it was something new and perhaps anna needed to know there was a place for her saved on elsie's ship this is the end this is making me think that she taught Drifter, and we saw her teach Eris. Right. Because she specifically says, you know, dread crawled up her spine, but she knew what she needed. Allies beyond her control. Allies who were versed in darkness as well as light. Mm-hmm. Who could take her secrets of stasis to the light bearers at large. So yeah, Eris and Drifter... Possibly Mara. That and it sounds like she's going to teach Guardians en masse, you know? Yeah. Uh, Teach a hundred or a thousand souls to forge iron into sword. And just maybe one will figure out how to make a plushare too. So yeah. I think she was also thinking about us in that statement. I don't think it was just the drifter. That's fair. Because she was the one who actually taught us how to use it. Yeah. But all in all, did you like the book? Yes. I like Elsie. And I think it was really interesting to learn how she got Strand or Strand Stasis. I've like had my brain fixated on Strand and been calling that Stasis because I'm just like, this is darkness class. Only darkness is called Stasis. And the one time I'm like, yeah, this is totally, you know, green spaghetti. It's not. It's it's stasis. Um, it's interesting to see her get stasis because we did wonder how the fuck did you get stasis? How did you get, you know, your fish? What is your fish? How does your fish function? And we've been wondering this for two years and they finally release it in a book you had to buy with the fish. But they finally told us, I feel complete. Same. So, 
Yeah. Same. So story, story complete. And we learned a tiny bit about her mom and we learned about how the fish work and it's pretty cool. Also, uh, God King Toki was in it for a little bit. And so I, I will accept that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty into that. Absolutely. So um, do you have any shout outs? Shout out to Rindle for putting up with all our crap. Lol. You hear that, Rindle? Rindle was helping Elmas with his audio today. Yeah. So if I sound better, it's thanks to him. What about you? Shout outs? Shout out to Toki. The cat. Who is at my feet. Toki is getting very old. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to have him. I've mentioned that before. But he's just keeping on keeping on right now. And he spends a lot of time at my feet. Or biting my feet as he's doing at the moment and it tickles. And um and sitting next to me at the dinner table where he uh, touches my paw and demands that I give him a bite of whatever it is I'm eating. And when he's ready for another bite, he touches my paw or he touches my hand again with his paw <laughs> to get another bite. He's gotten so demanding, you guys. And then he'll like sit on my open like drawer in the bathroom when I'm getting ready for bed and like watch me get ready. He'll just sit on my makeup and like watch me. Toki's just vibing, living his best life. He is. He is. He's living the, the, the end of his life. He's just living his best life. And so we're just spending all the time together that we can. So shout out to Toki because I love him. And I know um, people who... I stream so little these days with people who watch my stream. Toki is really like the star of every single stream I do. Yeah. He's the star of our discord. He has so many emotes and so many stickers and uh, like he has his own account in that like, like seriously in discord, he has his own account. He has his own bungee account like, he has his own Twitter. I do not drive his Twitter or any of those accounts. That is someone else. That is not me. <laughs> like, you can follow him at God King Toki on Twitter if you want to follow him on Twitter. <laughs> so, yeah, shout out to my cat. I love him very much. So, I will keep loving him until the day I no longer have him, and then I will continue to love him. So, anyway, um, I have some special thanks the audio for this episode was produced by riddle zebus you can find him on twitter at riddle zebus the artwork and the music in this episode is copyright of bungie we're able to use it under their fair use policy because they love their content creators if you would like to dive into the destiny lore on your own visit ishtar-collective.net they are the resource we use to make our show notes Thank you, Baxter. You are amazing. We love you. Thank you, Baxter. Yay. Here's a couple of reminders. You can find us on Twitter at guardians underscore lore. You can find me at Hey It's Orchid. You can find Elemist at I underscore am underscore Elemist. You can send us an email at guardians underscore lore at outlook.com. You can find us on Instagram at guardians of lore. You can leave us a review wherever you can leave reviews. Uh, the number of stars is five stars, please. 
you can join our Discord at discord.gg slash lorehub. And you can say hi to Toki there if you'd like to. Um, and if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit ko-fi.com slash guardians underscore lore. Every little bit helps. And if you want to listen to us record live, you can do so. Um, the people who donate are allowed to listen to us live. We'd love to have you. All side tangents and flubs of just uncensored. We, we edit all those out, but the side tangents, yeah, you get all of those that we edit out. Yep. <laughs> those are all there. <sighs> okay, all of us, say goodnight. Good night. Good night. Good day. Good afternoon. Good morning. Uh, good morning. <laughs> Otters. Goodbye. Thank you. Stuff. And things. Pickle? What are you doing? Pickle wants attention, too. I have to go pay attention to my cats, guys. They're so needy. God. You know what? I'm going to get another cat. I'm going to name it 801 so I can always think about the things I have lost in this life. Namely the forges. (laughs) Ding. (laughs) I can think about the forges all day, every day. (sighs) Okay, good night. Bye. Given the circumstances of the last few days, I felt that it would be appropriate to read something in tribute to Lance Reddick. Initially, I was thinking that I might do it in Zavala's voice, but that feels entirely inappropriate. So instead, I shall simply read the following poem by William Ernest Henley, titled Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black is the pit, from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody yet unbound. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Thank you for everything, Lance. And may you rest in peace.